Let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, you are glorious and beautiful beyond our imagination. We honor and praise you today. We thank you for this great privilege that we have called prayer. We come to you with assurance that you will hear us. And Lord, we pray that you will give us ears to hear you. We live in a chaotic world. It has innumerable problems. We ask that you would keep our eyes and our hearts focused on you as our only hope. I know that many here are dealing with threats to their peace. Speak clearly to us. Help us to rest in you as our true peace. I pray that you will unify us as your people and that you will guard that unity. You will use us mightily in this community for your glory. We all associate with people every day that do not know you. Lord, make us faithful with the gospel. Make us faithful, Lord, to point them to you. We pray that our worship is truly pleasing to you. As we have prayed, as we have been singing and reading your word, and as we preach your word, and as we give our offerings, we pray that it all is honorable to you. That we've been obedient to you and for your glory. Lord, make us fruitful for the kingdom. Take this marred, flawed vessel that you have redeemed and speak your message through it today. Make us each to be what you desire us to be, conform to the image of Christ. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Psalm 37. You probably are familiar with the first five verses in this psalm. That's usually where we start and stop. We talk about committing our way to the Lord, trusting in Him, and He will do it. We use that as a proof text to our faith sometimes. This is a didactic psalm. In other words, it's instructive. It's designed to be uh, teaching us. And uh, it's proverbial in its character, in its flavor. Some have even suggested that it should be included in the book of Proverbs rather than maybe in the Psalms. It argues for God's righteousness as revealed through His providential administration of this world, even though the circumstances seem to indicate often to us that things are otherwise. We're talking today in our Advent about peace. What is peace? If you stop to think about it, Have you questioned, what is peace? We talk about it a lot in our world, but what is it exactly? Well, if you look in a dictionary, it will use words like tranquility, calm, rest, ease, harmony, even quietness. Sometimes it helps me to know what something is not in order to better understand it. When we think about what peace is not, we know that it's not strife. It's not conflict. 
It's not anger or hostility. It's not hatred. It's not war. It's often discussed, but it seems to be far from our reach in this world. As we survey the landscape that is our daily lives, we see constantly these reminders that peace is outside our grasp. We just can't seem to make it happen. Sin has broken and cursed all creation. And everywhere we look shows the evidence of that curse. The conflict, the turmoil, the strife. Luke introduced, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Written against the backdrop, against the background of the Civil War. One of the darkest moments in our country's history. That core part of the song that Longfellow wrote, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong, and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to man. Sometimes it seems the same is true for us. Longfellow's world was turbulent, and it was dark. In fact, world history is filled with unrest, violence, and lack of peace. It's been going on since the Garden of Eden, hasn't it? No peace. Even this week's headlines leave us yearning for peace. Just a quick scan of those headlines. This is what I saw. We have a volatile business climate right now. Wall Street's nervous. The Epstein trial is revealing the dark side, often ignored side, of sex trafficking that plagues our entire world. There was a major shooting event in a Michigan school. And just as COVID seems to fade, Omicron now steps to the center stage. And then there are all the private challenges that you face this week or will face in the days to come. Literally every day, something occurs that either threatens or reminds you that there is no peace. There is no peace. Brokenness is in full bloom, and it produces much pain, suffering, strife, and unrest. But we're here today, we're gathered today, because that's not the end of the story. In fact, God is doing something new. God is restoring and renewing all creation, even as we speak, even as we're gathered here today. Christmas season is not about exchanging gifts. It's not about just celebrating the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago. It's about reminding ourselves that what we see all around us is not the end of the story. It's the reason that He did come and that He has conquered And that He is bringing a new kingdom that will be peace. It will be rest. In spite of what this turbulent world wants us to see. Peace enables us, His peace enables us and encourages us to persevere in faith. When the world is coming apart at the seams, because of our faith and trust in Christ we can move forward in peace in spite of what the world puts before us. 
Why? How is it? It's because God promises to protect and care for His people currently, and He's working toward providing salvation and ultimate peace eternally. That's what this psalm does this morning. The righteous will receive God's blessing and peace. This should strengthen us and enable us to better persevere in the faith as the challenges come. There are four movements in this psalm. Forty verses. Yes, we're going to get through them. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. So I want you to hold on. Four movements. The first movement is contained here in the first six verses. I would caption these first six verses in this way. I would say we have peace because we are promised God's blessings. We have peace because we are promised God's blessings. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, he says. Be not envious of wrongdoers. In other words, this fret not is talking about don't let your heart be aflame. Don't let it be angry. Don't let it be hostile. Don't let it be drawn into that feeling, that discontent feeling that so often goes with the events of this world. Don't be angry or burn with resentment or desire or envy of the wicked. I know, like David is often shows us in the Psalms, it's easy for us to look out and see those who are evil or wicked and they seem, appear to be prospering. They seem to be getting away with it. We see it prolifically in our world today. And yet, he says, don't fret over these things that you see. Don't covet the perceived prosperity or advancement of those who are wicked. It's easy to fall into that trap. But there's no comfort there. There's no contentment there. The psalmist says their success is like grass. It's like grass. Craig, you're not cutting as much grass as often right now, are you? Why? It's dead, isn't it? A couple of months ago, that stuff is vibrant, it's lush, it's green, it's growing. It changes with the seasons. We see it with the trees. We see those leaves come forth in the spring and all summer. They're lush, green, they provide shade, they're beautiful to look at. And then all of a sudden, away they go. And he's comparing the, the wicked in our world, the the evildoers in our world, to the same thing we see in vegetation. They are here today and gone tomorrow. They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. He says, don't waste your energy, desires on worldly and temporary things. Trust in the Lord and do good. Lean into Yahweh in spite of what you see around you. Do good and dwell in His land. Not in this land, not in the world as we know it today, but in that land that God has made and is making. His kingdom that is eternal. That's where our hopes lie. That's our destination in what He's doing, not in what this world offers. Do good and dwell in the land, His kingdom. Befriend or feed faithfulness. Nurture it. Persevere in the faith. Let that be your hope and your passion. Delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. 
Not that He's going to give you what you want, but He's going to change your wants. He will put in your heart what is best for you, and that's what you will want. He will bring it into alignment with His desires and purposes for you. He's sovereign over all and wants what is best for you. And He is able to deliver. So commit yourself. Commit your way to the Lord. He literally means to roll yourself over onto Him. Put your whole weight onto the Lord. Roll over onto Him as you would lying down in your bed tonight to sleep. Don't try to go your own way and blaze your own trail. Don't try to follow the big winners in this world. Put your trust in Him. He will act. I love that phrase. He will act. I know in some translations it says He will do it. This same phrase is used in Exodus chapter 14. You remember after the children of Israel came out of Egypt and as they were getting ready to cross the uh, Red Sea, they had the Red Sea in front of them, they had Pharaoh's army pursuing them from behind, they were trapped. And what did God say? God said, I'm going to deliver you. And Moses said these words in Exodus 14, 13. He said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. That phrase, which he will work for you, is what is communicated here by the psalmist. In other words, he will bring it to pass. He will bring what to pass? He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. The world may think you're all wrong for putting your trust in Christ. It may feel like you're all wrong for trusting in Christ in this world. But he says there's coming a day when your righteousness will vindicate your faith in him now. He's going to make you shine like the stars before all those and vindicate the relationship that you have with him now. He will make your justice like the noonday bright and unavoidable. Micah speaks to this. Micah 7, 9 says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. So does Job. Job 11. 11, 16 through 20, he says, You will forget your misery. You will remember it as waters that have passed away. And your life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. And you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. You will lie down and none will make you afraid. Many will court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail all way of escape will be lost to them, and their hope is to breathe their last. No matter what the circumstances in this fallen world, God's blessings are in store for His righteous ones. God's blessings are in store for this righteous one. That should give us reason to walk through this world in peace today. Right? The second movement, verses 7 through 20. Verses 7 through 20, I would caption this this way. We have peace because we will be rewarded in the day of judgment. We have peace because we will be rewarded in the day of judgment. Five times in this psalm, David speaks about the wicked being cut off. Five times he talks about the wicked being 
cut off. Now, this is not hard to understand, is it? This is not rocket science. It's pretty straightforward. When you cut something off, what happens? It's separated. It's severed, isn't it? A few weeks ago, some of the guys gathered out here on Saturday morning, and they went up the side of the parking lot over there, and they were lopping off, cutting off limbs that were jagged and too low to the ground. And when they cut those limbs off, I I looked this morning when I came in, I've not seen one of those limbs reattached to the tree. Not one. They have not reattached. They're off down here somewhere in the back in one of those gullies where they were dumped, and they're decaying and rotting. Not a part of the life that's evident in the tree any longer. The terminology surrounding the wicked in this passage is striking. Listen to some of the phrases that David uses. He says they will fade like grass. They will wither like the green herb. They will be no more. Their bows will be broken. Their arms will be broken. Like smoke, they will vanish. They will be cut off. Who are the wicked? Who are the evildoers? They are the unredeemed. They are the unregenerate. They are those who have failed to put their trust in Christ. Essentially, they have rejected the gospel. Continue to do things their own way in their own time. It's a grim picture. They appear to be successful and accomplished in this world. But yet God says He will judge them. They will be cut off from His presence and banished from His kingdom. No longer a part of life and love. But the Scripture says they will be banished to a place called hell. And the Lord scoffs at their arrogance. They disdain Him. They turn a blind eye toward Him. They're indifferent toward Him. They're apathetic. They have derided Him even with this life that He has granted to them in this world. But the day is coming when those tables will turn and it will be applied to them. But those who wait for the Lord, He says, shall inherit the land. The meek shall inherit the land. The humble, those who have put their trust in God, those who have believed His Word, believed the Gospel, and thrown themselves upon His mercy and received the redemption supplied by Christ. They will delight themselves and enjoy abundant peace. Abundant, what's abundant peace? You know, last week we were talking about We were talking about plentiful, a plentiful redemption. Abundant peace kind of comes with the same connotation. It's more than you could ever need, more than you could ever want. Peace that is beyond our ability to comprehend. Abundant, more than enough, always sufficient. He says, better is the little that the righteous has than the apparent abundance of the wicked. Their abundance is an illusion. The abundance in this world is an illusion. It's temporary. There's a true abundance for those who have put their trust in Christ. 
abundance in Him, abundance in peace and rest. And we can enjoy peace now because of that. You remember the story Jesus told in Luke chapter 16 of the rich man and the poor man. It's very interesting in that passage that the rich man is anonymous. We don't know his name other than he was rich. But the other man, the poor man's name was Lazarus. And Lazarus, we're told, lay at the gate. And every day the rich man stepped across him because he was poor and he was sick. And he had much in the way of needs. But the rich man lived a sumptuous, luxurious life. But the time came when both died. They left this world and everything changed because Lazarus, the poor man, had put his trust in Christ. He had believed upon the gospel, the truth of God, the hope of salvation. The rich man was trusting in himself. And the scripture says he lifted up his eyes from hell. And he looked and he saw what was going on. And Lazarus had been gathered into the bosom of Abraham another way of saying heaven, into the kingdom of God. What they had, where they were in this world, had no bearing upon what the next world, the kingdom of God, looked like. Lazarus' life, his short stay on this world, was miserable. But his eternal state, and if you're in Christ today, one day you're going to get to meet Lazarus and have a conversation with him. And he's been living in the lap of abundant peace since. We don't need to fret over the world's scorecards. On judgment day, accounts will be settled and the truth will be revealed. The righteous are credited with Christ's righteousness and they will be blessed forevermore in His presence. The third movement, verses 21 through 33. Verses 21 through 33. We have peace because God's glory is reflected through us. We have peace as God's glory is reflected through us. The wicked are greedy. They take and they take and they never repay. They are cursed and cut off, leaving only a foul reputation behind them. And their children follow suit. You see, there is no legacy. There's no legacy there of hope. There's no legacy there that benefits anything in the kingdom of God. The righteous, though, are generous, and they give freely. The righteous inherit the land, the kingdom, the city whose maker is God. A man's steps are established. They are fixed securely by God. When he delights in the Lord and in His ways, the Lord establishes them. The Lord is the foundation upon which he rests. Even if he trips and falls, he says he will not fall on his face. The Lord holds his hand and keeps him upright. David says he has lived long. He's lived long and he's seen a lot. But he says this, I have never seen the righteous be forsaken. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Never seen the righteous forsaken. He's never seen the righteous ch children in need. In fact, the righteous are generous. The righteous freely lend. What does that mean? 
freely lend. Is it really lending if it's free? I think he's talking about this. The attitude of the true follower of Christ, the one who puts all of his hope and trust in God, the righteous, when he lends, he lends as though he's made a gift. He doesn't lend in order to profit. He doesn't lend in order to count the clock and tick the days to see when he'll be paid back. He lends as if he has given it away. You know why? Because those of us who are in Christ understand that everything belongs to our Father and we're only the managers of it. So when we lend, when we give to others, we truly are giving as God's designate. Not giving our own resources, but His. Problem is, most of us don't really believe that, do we? He has the law of God in His heart, and His steps do not slip. It is not possessions, power, or fame that characterize Him or her. It is God's glory that draws all eyes and ears to Himself. Fourth movement. We have peace because it proves God's salvation. We have peace because it proves, it evidences God's salvation for us and in us. Wait for the Lord and keep His way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. The wicked comes quickly and passes away quickly. Those who look for them will not find them. But He says, mark the blameless. That is the complete one. The whole person, the one who has been made righteous in Christ, the one who has been changed from the marred, flawed vessel into a righteous vessel, acceptable to God, conformed to the image of Christ. Set your eyes on him or her, watch them and notice them. Behold the upright, the just. Watch the one who rests in Christ who is declared righteous. The only way to be blameless and upright is in resting in Christ's finished work. Repent and turn to Christ alone. Be indwelt by the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live in peace in this world. This person has a grand and glorious future, one of restoration and peace. The wicked are cut off, but not the righteous. The righteous remain grafted in, abiding in Christ. His Spirit coursing through us, filling us, in order that we can endure all that this world puts before us. The righteous are saved by the Lord, and they know His peace even now. Yes, we're looking forward to that day when we will know perfect peace, when we will be in a new kingdom where there is no more trouble, no more chaos, no more darkness, no more heartache, no more brokenness. But in the meantime, in the meantime, here in this world, our witness to this world is the peace of God reigning in us and through us as we walk through this world. Wadsworth said that it felt like everything was in disarray and in despair. Then peel the veils more loud and deep 
God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right will prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to man. How so? How so? The prophet Isaiah answers that question. We sang it earlier as well. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us pray. Bless you, Father. We glory in you and thank you for who you are. You are worthy of our worship and praise. Lord, thank you for the reality that we have today that we have peace waiting on us in your kingdom. When your kingdom comes into full bloom, we will know your peace. But Lord, we also have the assurance that we can walk and live in a turbulent, chaotic, dark world in that peace today. Your Spirit working in us, Lord, enables us to rest in you in spite of what the world is throwing at us, in spite of what we see others do or say or think. We can rest in you. Make it so, we pray, for your honor and for your glory. I pray for that one that's here this morning who does not know your peace, that today would be the day that your Spirit, Lord, brings conviction and brings truth to bear upon their heart, and that you would draw them to yourself Give them the gift of faith and repentance that they might turn to you and believe the gospel. And that today will be the day that they enter into your peace. And Lord, for those of us who know you and are walking through this world, I pray that your peace might abound. That abundant peace, Lord, that abundant peace, that it can surround us and carry us through this world of challenge and difficulty. For your glory and your honor. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.